Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invites you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing in Grace. I'm glad you took time to join us today. Today, we're going to do part two of a series we began last week with my guests, Richard Murray and Bill Thrasher. Um, I hope you're enjoying getting to hear their voices. I, I'm, I'm really liking these two guys. Um, these two individuals, uh, I've gotten to know a little bit. I've known Bill longer and just have a really neat connection. That's, that's why we're connecting. Uh, I do like interviewing many other folks. It's, it is fun. But when you kind of get into a rhythm and a role of, of having a, a great topic and going through it, and it's a relaxed, easy conversation, oh my goodness, I love it. So today, who or what is the Satan? This is this is controversial, but I think I think it's important for us to consider it. And here's why: I have a hunch that many in the church uh, have a they, they have a lot of assumptions. They've assumed their childhood Sunday school lessons as being the complete theological foundation of all that they believe. It's pablum. It's good. There's some healthy things there, but it's not explained. It's not, uh, there's much more that needs to be revealed from many of those topics. And we're going to try and cover a lot of them on this program. Um, I think next week's is going to be even more fun. We'll see, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So I'm going to, I'm going to just dive into this. Who or what is Satan? Because I have a hunch. Many of us have assumptions about Satan. Is he some scary dude with horns and uh, has a pitchfork? Is he does he wander around hell, you know, poking people that uh, uh, are misbehaving in hell? <laughs> like what, what is what is this? What is Satan? And I think it's important for us to look at it, consider it, and at least expand our understanding, and hear what maybe the early church fathers thought of it, um, or. Uh, what are some more historical perspectives that are more ancient to what we're used to? Not just the new 100 year, last 100 years, what, what, what's been the rave teaching? So part two, last week, if you didn't see that one, go back and uh, listen to it or watch it on, on the YouTube channel. All the links are below. Links to uh, Richard and Bill's uh, contact stuff are down below in the um, description of this video as well. So make sure you go do that. So it's time to dig in and get into this really good conversation. I hope you enjoy today. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part two of this kind of fun topic. Um, I'm here with Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray, and we're discussing the concept of the Satan uh, because there's a lots of, uh, I'd say, definitions flying around depending which traditional background you come from. But what if there are more ancient perspectives that we have not been told about and have been talked about for centuries, but in the last maybe a hundred years, it's not, it's shifted. So I want to revisit this because there are some people that are authentically wanting to find a better lens because I grew up believing that Satan's watching you wherever you go. He's like the Santa Claus better be nice and naughty, you know, or he'll anyway, all that stuff. So I, I, it's time to look for a better picture. And I think Richard, last time you said, well, give me an update on just a summary of what you said about this believing in who God really is. What was that part? It was uh, basically that the reason Satan matters to me is because as a, uh, as a, lover and defender of God's goodness and a believer in, in, in God's nature, we have to understand that nature. And as with anything, if we want to understand the nature of what it is, we have to understand the nature of what it's not. Mm. All right. It's yep. just the way differentiation happens and um, dynamic understanding of something grows by differentiating it from other things. Now there comes a time, I think when you've, you've differentiated it enough that you can really maybe focus less on, on the qualities because you just don't buy it anymore. Yeah. So when we're talking about differentiating Satan from God, we're talking about removing satanic qualities from the divine nature. Whereas the Old Testament said the left hand of uh, the Satan was the left hand of wrath. And the Satan was actually a good angel just doing what God told him to do. Uh, Jesus comes in the New Testament and says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Satan is off the grid. He's off the grid. He's not doing what my father. I've come to do with my father. I'm the only wow. voice of God. 
You know, Satan is not God's angry voice, which is what a lot of people still think to this day, that he's God's angry voice. Wow. Jesus comes and says, no, I'm God's only voice. All right. So so when Jesus looks up, one you know, Jesus looks up and sees Satan falling from heaven. One aspect of that is that he sees he sees satanic qualities drop from the, our image of God, drop from heaven's image and leaving only Jesus. I love that. I know some folks that have uh, been in the spiritual warfare uh, ministries uh, where they find demons in people and pray out, uh, cast out demons, those kinds of things. They have, ex- they have seen uh, visible, tangible expressions of, they defined it as a demon was in them. But when they stop seeing Satan or demons having that kind of power anymore, they've never seen them again. They've never seen people having trouble like that again. Like, it's very different when the conscious change happens. They don't see it anymore. I thought that that kind of really surprised me from some well-known people, you know, who have studied this stuff. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Bill. Yeah. No, I, for me, so much of the idea of Satan had a radical shift. Again, I grew up in, you know, the, the reformed evangelical church system kind of, and, and I was, you know, Dante's Inferno, I think. Mm-hmm formed more of my understanding of Satan in the Bible than to a large degree. Um, and, and that was a, a big thing for me to realize that so many of the, 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 the theology, or I don't know, that's probably not the right word, of Satan, uh, the ontology of Satan is probably a better word, um, was really a shotgun spray of biblical passages all taken out of various contexts and shoved together in one narrative. Hmm. So we take a little bit of Genesis, you take a little bit of Job, you take some of Isaiah, you take some of Jesus, you take some of Revelation, and we shove them together into this linear story of Satan. And once I, I step back and realize these were compartmentalized, these are speaking to different understandings of people in different points of time with different theological perspectives in that particular scenario that changed everything for me you know it's not a linear satan story paralleling the god story so you're trying to say that if we have a (laughs) tight concept of who satan is we need to open our hands and let god take care of the putty and realize that the story of satan is progressively changing Mm. through the narrative of scripture until we get to the story of jesus and then we have like, like Richard just said, this, this complete and utter separation of, of what is the enemy who comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, and what is God represented by Christ, who is only light, only life, only love. There is no mm-hmm. darkness. There is no fear. There is no um, uh, death in God. And that's, that's, a tra- that's a transcendent, transformational way of looking at things. It's so radically different from a God who kills and a God who gives life. A God I, think, I think our world needs to hear yeah. that today, especially that the fear part, oh my goodness, there's so much fear going on. Well, the opposite of love is fear, right? And there, there is no fear in perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. So mm-hmm. the idea there's no punishment in God. Man, that uh, there's well, a lot of careful. Things. You're gonna you're gonna get some negative texts. <laughs> there's a there, there's, and again we can get into that, and it's not meant to get there. But there's torment in God. Yeah. There's not torture in God. Those words mm. mean very different things, very radically different things. And so you know, one's designed in restoration and purification, and one's designed in retribution and vindictiveness. One's satanic, one's divine, and we got to start separating these things and 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 you know, double-edged sword cutting, mm-hmm. cutting down the, the middle and, and, you know, uh, yeah, rightly dividing some truth here. <laughs> so, so if our concept of what we think Satan is right now, if we're calling this into question, then what have we got to compare it to? I'm going to guess we go back. What did the early church fathers think? What, what were the earliest concepts of who the Satan is, the accuser? I think, Richard, you were going to tell us something. I think this might be a good time for that. Yeah, um, I, I I would say you know starting with Origen and um, you know most of them believed that that he was an angel. Now they didn't get into what an angel was. It's one thing to say he, he was an angel. I'm not convinced anybody really knows what it, if an angel really is. I, I think we all 
you know, but aside from that, I found the most provocative idea of all the church fathers, or at least early church leaders, was uh, Isaac of Syria, who believed that, um, now get this, now, have you ever wondered why zombies are so popular in culture? Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it almost supernatural? I'll never forget when I saw, what is the, yeah, uh, they don't Simon, the Simon Pegg uh, uh, zombie movie? But in the beginning of the movie, the zombies are walking around everywhere. He doesn't recognize them because they just look like regular guys bored with life. Okay. They're walking around, staggering around, going to work, coming home, dragging themselves. And he doesn't, he's just, you know, he's half out of it himself. And that really stuck with me because he didn't even recognize they were zombies. So here's, here's why zombies are relevant. Isaac, Isaac believed that evil, anybody who is infected with evil, uh, loses, loses their being. Mm. All right. Their being that evil is by definition, a privation of, of being whatever the full, and we can, we can, you know, grasp that. I think, you know, that when we're operating, you know, when we're operating under evil influences or out of an evil spirit or out of, you know, corrupt spirit that we're not ourselves, right? Lose your we're, identity. We're, it's back to identity, which you talk about so eloquently, Mike. Yeah. But that'd be a false identity. Correct. Yeah, it's a false identity. But it, but does that false identity really have ontology? Uh, you could make an argument that it doesn't, because and that the real ontology, the real being, is somehow embedded within that person at their core in an inert or inactive state that needs to be catalyzed, that needs to experience catharsis for that to be released. The kingdom of God is within you. You know, how does it be released? You know, and until it's released and until it's yielded to, until the spigot is open, you know, we're operating in largely um, false identities now, a very limited, very shallow, not fullness of being. So what Isaac believed is that when, uh, whether it's angels, uh, and he did at one point, believe that they were formerly rational creatures. But of course, he said that about men, men and or angels. And when he said rational creatures, he could mean men or angels or humans and angels. Um, but that they automatically become somewhat, he didn't use the word zombie, but as he described it, it sounded to me the way we would describe a zombie. Is a zombie alive? Yes. Are they moving around? Yes. Are they performing functions of that we would normally attribute to people who have ontology and being? Yes. But do they have any being? No. It is a privation. They are, pri you know, they are, they are under such privation that they're out there killing and eating others. But they're not existing. They're not existing as, as independent, autonomous, uh, fulfilling their potential, you know, creatures. So that, and it's sort of like the Matrix, the third Matrix movie. If you remember the third Matrix movie, Agent Smith, who's sort of the, the Satan symbol in the thing, homogenizes everyone on, on the planet so that they all look like him. All right. Yep. But, but when you know at the end when they're all released and Neo, but see what he didn't take on is he stuck it into Neo and he tried to make Neo, make himself into Neo. And then, you know, Neo turns into the evil, you know, into the evil Satan, but then you start seeing light shining out and it explodes. And then everyone else explodes. And you, you want to talk about a great scene for, for hell. You know, he's down there. Everyone. So is the Satan, if the Satan is the Smith character in that, does he have any, does he really have any being? Well, he's got a personality, but he's he a program. Have, yeah, he's a program. And, and, and ultimately what he's doing is he's masking. He's, he's, he's uh, consuming sort of like a computer zombie. He's eating all these other people, but those people still have their authentic selves at the core. Mm -hmm. It's just, they needed a hero to come and save them, which to, you know, which is Jesus coming and doing it. So um, I think, you know, when we, when we look at it that way, I think Isaac would be okay with saying that regardless of what they were now, Regardless of what they were, they are now, they have no ontology, they have no being. So that whatever Satan is now, in the sense of, of the evil that the evil influences that go around and, and uh, you know, affect and oppress and do all that, does it really matter if, if, if they have ontology or not? It is functioning, you know, waves of oppression, waves of things that we know aren't God's will. So if we can agree what I would say is if we can just agree to resist the things that are not of God, 
You know, anything that's inconsistent with Jesus's nature needs to go. We need to cast it out. Whether you want to call casting out a devil, whether you just want to call casting out a, a toxic idea, or whether you want to say casting out a toxic spirit, whatever it is, get it out of heaven's image of God. If we purify our image of God by letting Satan fall and not projecting me back up there, you know, I think sometimes things fall and then we try to throw it back up there and start blaming God for it again. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that will, that, that'll, that'll cure the whole Satan issue. I don't have to prove that he's any particular thing, you know, because again, it's a metaphysical truth. Who knows what the ultimate level of it is, but I think it is important that we have a general understanding that the role that he plays for us is in this differentiating and refining the image of God and anything that is not up to shine on the image of God is 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 satanic you know and that way we don't have to be jumping up and down and having horns and that sort of thing just wrong thinking poor thinking unworthy thinking darkness you know mean thinking yeah darkness whatever you want to call it th those are all allegories but uh you know uh but there is uh in the midst of it the, the the beauty is is when that light shines out you know and our and our true being i want to find you know there are times when we're not moving in being you know we'll be so dead during the day that you know, am I acting like Satan? No, not necessarily acting like Satan, but I'm sure not acting like an actuated human being, you know? So uh, anyway, that's, that's Isaac. That's incredible. Like the back then already thinking that. And what, what era was he in? Uh, I believe he's in the seventh century. Okay. So Bill, in your world, <laughs> how would you add to this? Because this, you've got your own sphere of friends that, uh, are probably going to banter with you as they do with me. And I don't want to arrive at any absolute answers per se. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, I think so, so two, two points that, that I just hear kind of, you know, in my own head, um, the idea of the collective consciousness view of Satan, I think resonates a lot with what uh, Richard's saying there. And that when we, and this gets into quantum physics and some things that, again, I think also can go off the rails if we're not careful, even, even with, with, you know, the theological elements of yep. it. I, I think there's some really amazing scientific breakthroughs and, and, and I say understandings, we don't understand them. They're actually causing us to realize how little we understand. <laughs> we can't understand them. Again, there's paradox and some things that are happening in this breakthrough of beyond the Newtonian sciences, right? where our consciousnesses have influence and create the, the reality we experience. And we can now prove these scientifically is, is mind boggling. It really is. It's, it's, it, we have to have a piece that passes understanding because we can't understand it. Right. But what it does is it gives us this kind of snapshot into the idea that our beingness or anti-beingness has effect on the cosmic reality that is every single every single element every single atomic particle every single electron every single uh, photon is interdependently connected to one another and what i see and believe and look at and focus upon affects everything else me you, Richard, every human image bearer has this power, has been given this, this, this co-creating, right? Now we're getting back to scripture, ability. And when we choose to look at that from the tree of life perspective, mm -hmm. we bring life. When we choose to bring it from a tree of knowledge of good and evil, morality, ethics, law, whatever you want to call it, we, we lose life. We, we create anti-being, right? And, you know, my consciousness and your consciousness and the, the, the whole consciousness of humanity creates this adversarial element. And, you know, uh, Paul said, all creation is groaning. It's, it's pregnant, right? It's, it's like pains of childbirth waiting for us to wake up to who we really are. And stop playing that childish, immature game, going back to our other conversation, right, of, of being trapped in this false identity 
of, of morality defining our being, which is actually anti-being, right? And realizing that we are children of light and there is no darkness, right? Mm-hmm. And God separated so the, the light from it's the an darkness. Illusion. Yeah, God separated the light from the darkness in this temporal, finite experience for us. I think Richard kind of is on point to learn and grow into who we really are. And the only way we can do that is by experiencing some, get back to that word I use, zoom, zoom, right? Zoom, zoom. Zim, zoom or something like that. Zim, zoom, right, this, this pullback. I mean, if we only have light, we can't understand what a shadow is. And shadows give such depth and beauty and element to this, this world. But if it's only light and nothing but light and there are no shadows, then we can't have that. And so it is in this playground that God's created that we haven't been ingratiated, but we have the ability to manifest temporal experiences of what we define subjectively as evil. And, and I don't want to get into moral relativism, but yet that is kind of a, a component of it, right? I, it, it's, it's complicated, but I think our, our co-creating power as humanity creates this this Satan to a large degree. And like Richard said, I don't, I don't want to define what an angel is. Is it, does we, do we give life to that? And does it have independence? I, I think so. I really do to a large degree, how that plays out and, and the, the divine <laughs> dance. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I do believe that even in the fullness of time, that that fullness of that antibeating is going to be transfigured into a being of light in some way, shape, or form, whether that's in our individual consciousness or whether that's some, more, some independent thing as well, or both. I mean, that could be the bride of Christ, right, to some degree. Um, we just, <laughs> she has to be resurrected. So um, God, God's not that good. And then the second point, sorry, that was kind of long, is that, that I think the one element that I, I just come back to time and time again is a thing that, that I, I don't hear a lot of people talking about, is that Holy Spirit Christ in me is just like this version of Jesus too. We do mm. the thing with Father a ton, and I love that we give the goodness of Christ to the Father, and I think it's imperative and important we do that. We also equally so give the goodness of Christ to Spirit. So many of the times I hear people have this, they have a conviction in their spirit. They're, they're given a word of God that's condemning to themselves or judgmental upon another, and that ain't Jesus. That's the other guy who's whispering a fork-tongue lie in your ear. And, and we listen to that, and we've been trained to say that's Spirit's voice. And that's just as toxic as putting this fallen element onto the Father, and we need to let him fall. We also need to expunge. We need to take every thought, every whisper capture, and cut that tongue off when we hear anything that doesn't sound like Jesus, saying that you're a divine image bearer, and on that day, you will know and I am in my father, you are in me, and I am in you. It's like a bank teller. They're, they're not shown hundreds and hundreds of fakes. They study the original. Yeah. And we're drawn to the original, the light. And we, there's, a, there's something that happens in us that gets excited. It's like, <gasps> something's really true about this. Don't know why I like this so much. And then later you find out, you know, God's been working on something and drawing you to that other person. And suddenly you have this incredible conversation, but God's been in it the whole time, but you couldn't put words to it. It's, it's a, a sense from deep within spirit to spirit. And so I know, again, back when I was a kid or teenager, I read this book called This Present Darkness, like everyone else did. You know, suddenly I'm watching for demons behind the tree. Maybe there's a flock of them over in the forest. Oh, over the city hall, there's a whole swarm of them. So I'm now demon hunting. And I'm so aware. The mentors. Listen, <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a youth group at a Pentecostal church. And I swear I saw a shadow of a demon behind the pastor. All right. As he's teaching the youth group. So I told him about it. Ah, no problem. I'm not afraid of all that. So, you know, but the point was, I'm already focused in all my thinking, the awareness of, of demon, Satan, demon, Satan, when it should be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Big difference, right? Like right. what you focus your attention on, you will see or create even out of whatever. You know, you know the, the first thing it says about Satan if we accept that the, the serpent was Satan, and I do, you know, and I, I think the, you know, the, the Jude, the, the Talmud says that at one point, I think, you know, but at least 
it could be. So um, but the, the first thing we hear about him is the last thing that we ever talk about. And that is that he's the, the most subtle of creatures. Mm. And I truly think that the most dangerous thoughts that we have are the mo- are the subtle ones. I think this this um, you know vomiting and all that kind of stuff is the a lot of it's theatrics. I'm I'm willing to say all of it's theatrics. No, but some of it is your expectation that you bring to the table and the way that it manifests through you. You know, so I don't have a problem necessarily with that. But I do think that that it's in his subtlety. And one danger of just saying there's no Satan at all is that. Uh, you, you lose you lose that understanding of his subtle ways, yeah. the way that he might whisper a thought to you, whatever it is that's doing the whispering, that he might whisper an idea, that he might whisper something to you that takes root and that diverts you. All right. Mm-hmm. No, nothing earth shattering, you know, nothing, no, nothing, uh, you know, on the surface that sounds like some great, you know, demonic attack, you know, but a just something that sounds, you. Yeah. A lot of times it sounds good. It's pleasing yeah. right, to the yeah. ear. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, but, you know, there's this just to police to police our thoughts. I think we could agree that whatever he is or he isn't, whatever we want to say that's not of God and is unworthy of God, which is why it falls from heaven. Whatever's unworthy of God, we want to be unworthy of our image of God. And we want to be, you know, uh, not that we want to be unworthy, but we don't want it in our image of God and we don't want it in our self image. You know, so, I mean, that's a pretty connect the dots type of thing there. So it's not that I'm going to fo- after Satan falls, you don't keep staring at him. You just look for the next thing that doesn't belong up there. And if there's something else that doesn't belong up there, you cast it down in your thinking, you know? Um, so anyway. I'm so, finding, yeah. I'm finding that my concept of who God is is getting bigger and better. And there were some pretty big uh, concrete blocks in the way that I didn't even know were there. Um, Cause I was kind of melted into it. I had no idea. And Western thinking, Western wall. I was not, I thought there was a wall in front of me. But I was in the wall, the Western wall. I was already conditioned. And I think this deconstruction journey um, is an awakening to the conditioning and realize that there's a difference between the truth of what is versus the conditioned of what I've been told. And so there might be particles of truth, but there's a lot that is not. And to find a better answer, it's like, What? I, I had no idea the goodness of God could be as big as it is. And it's even bigger than that. Oh, wait, it's bigger than that. No, it's bigger than that. Like, but yeah. see, you could take, you could take what you just described as saying those concrete blocks are Satan. Mm, All right. Okay. And, and the, the deconstruction itself in maybe a, in the most raw way is actually <laughs> spiritual warfare that wow. you go in and you're taking down yeah. the blocks that keep us from perceiving and interacting with the true image of God. And then, and then, uh, you know, so it's a, a lot of this is terminology again. That similitude thing, at whatever's going on behind the curtain, we don't know what it really looks like. So we're using, and it may be that the that for this day and age, that the concretes make more sense in our allegory than the use of them than maybe pew, uh, you know, spewing demons do, uh, you know, because of a number of reasons, and they're, you know, just the, the poor history of it and all. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm always for reinventing the allegories that we refer to, to in the, me- you know, in the metaphysical realm. So same well, dynamic, one, though. One other thing, maybe just to liberate people a little bit uh, who may be caught up in, in the demonic or the fear of the demonic. Um, it's something that, that I, you know, we don't we don't talk about again in the institutional systems of church because it, it's it's right there in the pages that we just have to have to look at the, at least the canonized scriptures we have. But, you know, the Old Testament spans. I don't know, 2,000 to 6,000 years of, of, of one tribe's history, however you want to look at it, depending on who you ask, right? We, we start with the Genesis account, and we move all the way up until the revelation of Christ. In that old mindset, I think demons are mentioned two or three times. And even then, the Hebrew word is a little bit of a different connotation than the Greek word that we're going to see when Jesus. So there's a shift that happens somewhere between even the liberation from the last prophets and the revelation of Christ here under the Roman empire, the, the captivity under all of the previous uh, uh, empires had embedded theological kind of nuggets of, of, of uh, pagan understandings and, and planted them inside of even the Jewish theologies that were per- permeating the culture 
of Jesus. And Jesus was a person who grew up in a culture in a very limited bandwidth of time and knowledge and language and all these things. And I think, you know, today we look at some of the demonic things that happened with the people that Jesus encountered and we look at them and go, oh, look, that person had palsy or maybe had uh, bipolar syndrome or maybe had multiple personality disorder. We look at those things and we can now think of a different descriptor with a more of a scientific or medical based connotation to it. Demonic in his high culture was hyper focused as a theological understanding in a very small span of time. The, the entire New Testament, you know, the, the at least original authors spanned one or two human generations. That's it, 70, 80 years. And prior to that, you have thousands of years of history, and we have a handful, a handful of very allegorical um, nuggets of, of quote-unquote demons. So if you look at it, demons aren't a, a linear thing in the Bible either. It's, it's, it's very sparse and very, again, meta, metaphorical. And then all of a sudden we get Jesus, and it seems very literal and very very like real and raw and but that's the language and the perspective they had in that one generation of humanity and we gotta we gotta step back and take a breath and realize listen it's okay to sit here two thousand years from that moment and realize we have some perspectives on how these things were being described and maybe we have a different language now of science and medicine mm -hmm. that we can understand jesus absolutely healed those people but what they called a demon probably was 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 dis-ease right it was it was something that we mm -hmm. define slightly differently now yeah well just to provide a, a slight counter view with that not a big one but but <laughs> metaphysics metaphysics studies the cause behind the cause mm -hmm. all right yeah. so uh, so the the question is not wouldn't necessarily be what caused this person's affliction but what caused What's the cause behind the cause? Why does this affliction even exist in the first place? Why? And, you know, biologists will sit there and say that there's no good reason why we humans die. Yep. That there's no reason why our cells shouldn't continue to regenerate like some of these trees for thousands of years. They don't they know that we die, but they don't know why we die. Mm. And uh, I think metaphysics looks at the cause behind the cause. So while I agree with everything that Bill said, I would think that a mature metaphysic rather than this demon jumping stuff would say, you know, well, what, what are the causes that, that, that cause deformities and, and, and destructions and things like that that ought not to be that we wouldn't believe it are God's will uh, to be imposed on anyone. You know, where, where do these come from? Why are they here? So that would be, I, I would. I agree. Uh, uh, so, and yeah, I thought that you did. So, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's, a, it's a difficult I mean, there's there's lots of there's more angles to this than well, the poor representation of demon <laughs> preachers. It's just, it's just giving language, right? To, so so what would we get caught up? I think in the hyper uh, language of that one culture. If we if we become like focused on the the words, right? And you're we don't want to get the words aren't going to ever get deep enough. And you're absolutely right. That goes back to Romans awakening as sons of God, right? Um, and, and that's where the, now we're back to metaphysics, right? And realizing that we can speak life. And when we, we feast from the tree of life. And again, I believe that we, I think we are, we're, we're beings that are continually going to be in a body. Even, even beyond this, we're going to be, I, I believe that we're going to be physically resurrected. We're going to physically live on a renewed earth. We're physically going to have experiences. I sure need a new body. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I think we're going to have extra dimensionality as a part of that. But at the end of yes. the day, we are, we are, we are still, we're, we're fit. Jesus is a physical person and we're physical people. Yes. I love that. And I think it, yes. you know, we're, we're not part of Bill and part of Mike and part of, is, is going to, to still be, we're going to be, and that's, that's good news, right? And, and what, we, what we've labeled as demonic is really just a, a misapplication of metaphysics and that, that Satan force, adversarial force, that's attacking the cosmos. Um, and, and honestly, it's, it's we, we're, we're co-creators and even in some of that, the good news, regardless of all of it is, and I think that Richard, you probably resonated, is the cosmic disallowance in the fullness of time space of all of that through Christ crucified and resurrected. Yes. Amen. Amen. So one, one last thing. <laughs> Translations. It matters. 
So we're hearing these concepts and that's important, but even our English translation doesn't always get it right. So I see the religious church saying, no, my Bible says clearly. And that part is bugging me and irritating me more and more and more because it was not written in English. So (laughs) have you guys wrestled with that? What? (laughs) Jesus wasn't white either. (laughs) Uh, Richard, have you discussed that with translation issues at all in any of your articles? Uh, In reference to Satan? Yes. And how the word is it, whether it's accuser, some translations call him Satan, Satan get behind me, accuser get behind me, that kind of stuff. Because people are, they automatically have a go-to verse. What about this? So I was just curious if that was in any of your discussions when you yeah, have. Yeah, I've, I've, I've hit it. I've hit it from different angles. I, I, I think that uh, it's hard to read the New Testament and not come away at least believing that as a, as a literary explanation that they, that they attribute uh, – ontology to the Satan figure. I mean, we have Satan being transporting Jesus and showing him all the kingdoms of the world. And the, the thing that's really um, hard to deal with is the pigs incident for me. For, people who say, for the people who say there's no ontology at all, something went into those pigs, something suicidal, some suicidal ideation went into those pigs and drove them off the cliff to destroy themselves. And they portrayed it as though these demons were speaking and saying, you know, recognizing Jesus and doing that sort of thing. That's a tough one to deal with. If you accept it as historical, some people just say, well, I'm not going to believe that's historical because I would have to believe that there's something more, you know, the Satan's not imagined. There's the tension right there because I, I, I don't want to toss it out. I think there are, are different lenses on that story that we've either not been exposed to. And what we're talking about, the Satan is one part, but back to who is the God? Like it's bigger than what we know. And the writers wrote from their lens as best they could. And, and they ran away from the image of God. <laughs> Jesus was right there in their midst and they couldn't stand it. They ran and they jumped off a cliff, you know? So, uh, I mean, but there's another example of the image falling from heaven. The pigs, oh. you know, they, left, they fled oh, away. I like that. I never, yeah. Did you just catch that? that yeah. Oh man, that was good. Very cool. Well, thank you. This was a really interesting discussion that I had no idea until 10 minutes before we started all this. <laughs> no, we were so unprepared for it. <laughs> unprepared, but also oh, I drove in. I got in late. I didn't even yeah. know what you guys were talking about. Yeah. Well, I did I did <laughs> not want to okay. I told Richard this before. If we turn this into a Bible verse thing and make it a Bible study, then you know Richard will say he'll go pow pow. I've got you with this Bible verse, and I'll pull my machine gun. <laughs> oh, yeah, here's these. Then Bill's gonna go, yeah. <laughs> Here's the big one. And, and we just shoot the, the battle back and forth of Bible verses when there's got to be a deeper conversation among trusting, like with trust being between us. And then we can begin to learn because we learn in the context of trust and not being absolute about everything. Dogmatic is probably the better word. Yes. So, yeah, I think it was great. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, look, look My pleasure. Forward, yeah. Looking forward to uh, the next uh, conversation we get to have. And, uh, Uh, That's it. Thanks everyone for watching. Still Growing Grace. We'll see you next time. Well, hello everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Richard Murray and Bill Thrasher. Uh, That was pretty good. That was a lot of content, a lot of uh, thinking going on there. Uh, Hello to a few folks that are chiming in. Howard uh, Siemens from Sorrento, BC. Good morning. And Brett uh, Erickson, where are you from, Brett? I uh, I don't know what city you're in. We got uh, our friend Michael in uh, Oregon. Uh, Good morning. Yeah, move to your time zone. Sorry. I know, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard. It's it's a different time, but it works for me, and that's why I got to do it now. Um, I think there's way too many folks uh, doing their live streams at night, and it's like, I, I, that's my family time. That's my like gardening, walking. I've got time to sit in front of a computer and listen to all these amazing teachers. Ah, I go back and watch them later. So really the time doesn't matter, but it is fun to do this live. Brett, I, you had a question here. That I, you had a whole bunch, but it was good. Um, but you asked the question, uh, if Jesus is a physical being and God is God in flesh, why does it say he had to grow in wisdom and stature? I, that question drew me. I know you had some other good ones. Um, can't get into all those. It's just, it's a, that's a very deep conversation. However, for this particular one, 
um, uh, Jesus came 100% God on 100% man. And he chose not to live out of his deity, okay? He lived out of his humanity, living just like you and I. This is, this is the only place where it made sense that Jesus went through everything we did. Um, I had a hard time with that growing up. I said, well, Jesus always had the God card, you know? He always played the God. He knew, he knew, blah, blah, blah. You know, if he's God, he must, you know, all this, all this stuff. You know, how can you add knowledge? But that's not how he came into this world. He came out into this world as a baby who who pooped a dark, dark green sticky poop the very first day he pooped, like we do. And then as he ate, had milk and everything changed and his body began to change, he had to learn the language of his day. He had to learn how to put on a sandal because he was human. And God was not, in, um, he chose not to live uh, uh, as a spirit. He did not live out of his deity, but rather his humanity. Um, very, very powerful picture, which then he now can identify with all we do, which also means um, we can trust him, uh, that he understands everything we're going through. I thought it was really cool. That's that's part of, uh, I'm trying to, um, kenosis, that's it, the kenosis theory. Uh, he, he um I'm trying to remember where it was from, uh, which scripture points to that. But anyway, that was really good. I love that one. Um, yeah, and Lisa, hey, good morning, Lisa. And Karen, oh my goodness, Karen, I hope you're doing all right. Karen, I think of you a lot. I pray for you, and my heart's uh, connected to you, and we're going to be connected for a long time. Um, but yeah, love you, miss you. Um, so next week, I don't know what we're going to be covering. Um, one of the topics is going to be uh, probably hell. What the hell is hell? Is what I want to call it. <laughs> I want to teach a sermon series on that too, but we've had some really good speakers and teachers teach on the topic of hell. Uh, I am over eager to, to walk through it. It's if I do it as a sermon series, it's going to be more like a theological class where you, you got to cover all the details. But if we have the discussion in here um, in a group like this, it's going to be a lot more fun uh, to have it more loose. So uh, I want to jump back into the Satan for just a moment because I um, a lot of great teachers have been talking about this. And uh, uh, one particular interview by Brad Jerzak, uh, and he's coming from an Eastern Orthodox background now, um, a very, very big deal. Um, <clears throat> but he, here's something how he starts one of his interviews, and I can't even, I, I don't have time to list where it is, hell if we know, <laughs> it's funny. Um, uh, he says this, and this is talking about the topic of Satan, because he was interviewed about this and his perspective. Um, he talks about there's a whole range of demonology that we know very little about and what we think we know we don't necessarily know that is huge um a really really um i think the uh, a fundamental um foundation for studying anything um the study of hell, the study of demonology, who is the Satan, all that stuff. Uh, anything about grace, identity, about, yeah, exactly, Michael Harden and then they discussed it. I think that was, this is where I'm getting a quote from. A guy named Seth was interviewing him. Um, but, oh my goodness, uh, the, the humility in not being dogmatic, the humility in not being so absolute, leaving mystery there. The Western church hates mystery. Okay, uh, we want absolute cubbyholes. We want a theological textbook that tells us this is what we believe. And here's probably why we want those cubbyholes. It means we don't need any faith. It means we don't have to rely moment by moment, as Jesus did as a man, had to depend fully on abiding in his father. Okay, the only thing that Jesus tells us to do as far as he, he never said copycat me. He said, abide in me. Uh, he said, I do whatever the Father tells me to do. I say whatever the Father tells me to say. I'm not doing anything on my own initiative. He's doing what he hears his Father say. And this is how we're to live our lives, period. Meaning, was, was Jesus given all the information all the time about everything that was going on? No, I don't believe so. Here's a, two examples that I thought were really fun. Um, the one time when he, uh, his first, very first miracle... Jesus' uh, uh, mom comes to him and says, hey, we need wine. Do, your, do the God thing now. Come on, this is the time. And he, listening to his father, because he he's still developing his relationship with his heavenly father and listening to hear his voice, he doesn't hear a yes. He says, mom, mom, seriously, mom, mom, stop it. Like, now's not my time. Well, 
Suddenly, Jesus gets a tap on the shoulder the next three or four minutes. Tap, tap, tap. Now's the time. Oh, okay. Now's the time. And he goes and he does the wine. Another time, you know, the disciples and them were going to head off to Bethany or Jerusalem, which I forget which one it was. And he says, you guys go on ahead. I'm, I'm not ready to go. Well, 10 minutes later, tap, tap, tap. Holy Spirit says, it's time. Oh, okay. So there's this constant living in the moment, in the mystery, not having to know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. That's not comfortable for us in the West. We want those answers. We don't want to live by faith. We want to live by knowing. And that's not what it means to live a Christ life. Uh, can we know some things? Of course. But to have an arrogant absoluteness to some things is hard. Um, and we, we, we try and do that with even in our theological journeys. We, we, we want to be pretty absolute. I want to be absolute. But um, here, here's the thing. If I sound dogmatic and absolute in any kind of way, uh, those who don't know me, um, you don't know this, but... Those who do know me know I'm teachable. Fine, share something with me. Help me understand. Uh, convince me. Oh my goodness, convince me. Uh, I may not agree with you, but once I have many more uh, options in the theological uh, sphere of thinking, I'm realizing, hey, there are well-meaning, excellent folks who love Jesus, have studied with their full heart committed to, to Jesus, and they've arrived at a different answer than me. How is that even possible? <laughs> this is the joy of the bride of Christ. All right. Uh, here's an example. Brad, in his interview with uh, the Seth guy, uh, apparently Brad's son, who was, I think, 11 at the time, um, he just nonchalantly, you know, uh, Brad asked him, what, what's a demon to you? And here's what he said, 11-year-old, demons are created by humans out of the ashes of war, the tears of those who are afraid, and the stuff people want that doesn't belong to them. And then they take on a life of their own and turn on you and torment you. Wow. That, that's, uh, that's pretty deep. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole interview because it's way too much. Um, but really, really um, powerful. So, again, this, this, the whole series of Still Growing Grace, this whole reason we're doing this uh, uh, um, is because none of us have arrived. We're all still learning. There are more. I like what uh, um, Karen writes about possibilities. Absolute restrict the possibilities. I love possibilities. Of course we love possibilities. We live in the possibilities. That brings us more joy than we ever thought. Anyway, I love it. Uh, it's, it's time to run. I got I to gotta take off. I've got lots going on today. Uh, just a thrill to be with you. Um, I'm hoping that next week we will get into this uh, hell topic, but we're going to do it in a more light-hearted, conversational way, not in a classroom. So keep in mind when when oh, I got to turn this light off. Sorry. I know that when when we go to you send people to school, to uh, seminary or Bible college or all those things, um, when they they're supposed to teach you how to think, not what to think. Okay, they're also supposed to explain. Um, the many different perspectives throughout history, uh, not just one bent. Like if you go to a Baptist college, they'll usually teach you all the Baptists and that's it. Uh, if you go to a Pentecostal one, well, then you get all the Pentecostal stuff and that's the dominance. But if you go to a more of a um, um, non-denominational non type college or one that authentically is really good at helping you teach or learn and study, um, then there you're going to get multiple perspectives. Because I remember in, uh, uh, even when I was in Bible college, um, I was given a, a number of textbooks, systematic theology textbooks, and we had to go through them. And it provided so many different views. It's like, what? I did not hear this one in Sunday school. <laughs> so I, I don't think people should have to wait to go to Bible college to learn this stuff. I think the church should be teaching this all the time. I think this is this is the heartbeat of day-to-day -day living. Let's get into all these topics and not assume. And if we have held assumptions about certain topics, it's time to unpack them. And if they require some deconstruction because lime has built up on the outside of your theological base, we need to chip off all that lime and get rid of what shouldn't be there. Um, oh my goodness, yeah, I, can, I better be careful. I'm going to go on a real rabbit trail now. Um, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed last week's and this week's discussion on what or who is Satan. Um, uh, I think there's more to understand on it. We're not done. 
Yeah, Global Grace Seminary is a great option. They have a college level and a um, master's level school you can do all online. It's a lot less expensive than any other school that I know of. There are other schools as well, um, but uh, this particular one I'm connected to, and I, I like the style. It's it's easy to do it on your own pace. I'm probably the one student that's taking the longest to do anything. <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, my world's busy. I Sorry, it gets bumped. So anyway, it's all good. Looking forward to actually continuing on in my in my master's program, and uh, um, and I want to I want to get that done. All right, thanks so much for watching today. Um, we'll see you guys next week, and uh, join me with Hope Fellowship on Sunday if you uh, uh, also are watching any of these channels. Uh, we have our Mother's Day encouragement time this Sunday, so don't forget it's Mother's Day. For those in the States watching, um, those that have freedom to move about without restrictions, in Canada, we're having a nightmare right now, okay? Uh, a couple of our provinces are in serious lockdowns. This is this is a really, really difficult time. Um, so just think of us and pray for us. And when we see you guys gathering, we're like really jealous. <laughs> so, especially when you don't wear masks. <laughs> oh, man. All right, that's it. Have a really good one. Samola, uh, Samola, I see you there. Thank you. Thanks for chiming in. Uh, you guys have a really, really great day. I'll catch you next time. All right, where's the end here? Dun, 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 dun. Here we go. Bye. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.